private practice playbook. Playbook. It's a private practice playbook. Playbook. Hello and welcome. So pretty excited to be with you and uh, do what you need to do to stay on this till the end because this is about you, right? So a little bit of what we're going to do. I want to review a little bit about what we're going to talk about and why this is important. But before we do that, I think there's a couple of important things that I, I want you to realize. And, and the first one is this, is that I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for you. And what I want you to imagine in this is, and, and I'm going to do my best to talk directly to you. And what that means is this is about you getting value. This is about you having, uh, uh, getting new information. This is about you having an epiphany. This is about you being able to benchmark yourself against the best. This is about a perspective that you can't have by yourself. You can only have it in a relationship with me. And I'll explain that. And so what I, what I would strongly suggest you do right now are the following things. Number one, minimize your distractions because, and we'll talk about this, we are a distracted society. I, I would like you to pretend that we're having this conversation face to face and I can see what you're doing. And if you're giving me 10% of your attention, then by choice, you're minimizing the value of this experience and you are in charge of that, not me. And I am prepared to give you something that could be substantial, meaningful to you, but the only way it's gonna work is if I have your undivided attention. And so get off the computer, uh, put the phone, you know, put, if, you have a, if you're on one phone and you're saying, look, and go tell your spouse or your office, wherever you are, office manager, look, don't come in here and disturb me because this is about you. And what I'm challenging you to do, do you have the ability to actually stop and concentrate on what's most important? And we're going to be talking about your future. And I don't care who you are, where you are, what city you are, what country you're in. You know, I think that your future, like a good leader, is thinking about the future. And so this is to talk about your future and you're going to get my help on your future and we'll talk about why that is probably should be you should understand the value of that and but you control your level of distractibility next i want you to get a sheet or a pad of paper i personally love the i use a lot of oversized pieces of paper so i have 20 pages of notes that i'll work off uh, in preparation for this and I like big paper. And I want to encourage you to map or write out what you learn. So in other words, if you simply just listen and you don't write, you again will be minimizing the value of this. And this is about truth-telling and about your truth, not mine, I'm going to be giving you new information. I'm going to be giving you a perspective that you, you, you could not have, possibly. There would be no way you could have my perspective, and I'll explain that. But what I, and what I don't control is 
if you have the ability to accurately judge your situation, which is why that pen and paper is so important, is because when we draw things out on paper, we're able to see, you know, it's very easy to see if you're driving down the road in a 1989 Yugo, I don't even know what year they made the Yugos, and a guy pulls up to you in a brand new Mercedes convertible, right? It's pretty clear to see the car you're in and the car they're in. Now, there's a lot behind that, but what I want you to do, and I'm not saying I care what kind of car you drive, that's not the point, but in those situations, it's pretty clear. It's like if you've ever shown up to a black tie affair and you weren't wearing a black tie, well, you pretty much know you're not wearing a black tie. But in the kind of things we're going to be talking about, for some reason, your brain has the ability to protect you at the highest level and even to the point where you deny the truth. And so I'm asking you to play a game of, you know, like, this is therapy, you're in it, there's nobody watching, nobody listening, it's completely confidential, and have this conversation with me about your life and quit trying to deny the truth. And when you get distracted, that's the technique to deny the truth. People are distracted today because they, what happens when you have a high distractibility factor is that you're not concentrating on what you need to concentrate, which is called doing the work that is required. Pen, paper, lock, shut the door, shut off the screens. Let's talk about your future. So concentration on your future. As we go through this, I want you drawing out your future. So even like if you think about that right now, why don't you go ahead and why don't you draw two boxes with an arrow and in one box write today and in the next box, why don't we write, oh, let's just say five years from today and then what your age is going to be and let's let's use that and and the reality of it is is it is currently a completely predictable I can take a person's life and if you think about what went before today, so I want you to think of the number of years before today. So draw out the number of years before today. So as, as an example, if you sit on this call and you're 45 years of age, you've had 45 years to get to today. If you're 75, you've had 75 years and so on. So on your diagram, on your piece of paper, right, that's your history. So what we have, what you have, what I have, what everybody has is a history. And you can label that your history. Then we have today, and then we have whatever point in, in the future. And in this particular example, I want you to put five years, okay? And so, and what we know is, isn't it amazing that I can tell you what my exact age will be five years from today? I can also tell you the year and the date. So in other words, you can predict that perfectly fine. So you say, as a matter of fact, and there's no arguing with it, right? So if I said to you, if we go five years from today, okay, is it going, right? However, if we look at your circumstances in life and I say to you, I can tell you exactly where you're going to be 
in five years, it always shocks me how few people actually understand that that is very doable and it is based in your history, okay? So I want you to think about it. And the reason is because in any today, you're distracted. You're so distracted that you can't actually study your history. So let's talk a little bit about history. And what many people do is in the case of your future, what I want to tell you is that history can, okay, history is important, but futures can change. But it is predictable. One of my favorite quotes I ever saw was, and I don't remember the context and I'll paraphrase it, but it said, listen, you tell me what you do between 5 and 11 every night and I'll tell you exactly where you'll be in 10 years. And, and I still think to this day that is a very apropos quote. And what we have is a lot of people who are very distracted. So let's talk. So you have a past. And what I want to tell you is that unless you change by choice, and by the way, that's not always easy. I want you to write this down. Change is coming. And there are two ways it comes. One is forced. The other is designed. So write that down. Change comes in two formats. Forced, designed. Which one, if you go in your history, which one usually happened for you? Because I can tell you if you're a person who only changes when you have to, then most likely that's what you'll repeat in the future. And it's sort, of a, it's sort of a terrible existence, actually. And however, and it, by the way, it's actually much less impressive than change by design. And, 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 and you got to understand this. Change by design is actually very difficult. So I'm not suggest It is very possible, very difficult, and requires understanding how to do it. But if, if and I also want you to think about this. If you go change by force what you typically find is less control and terrible circumstances. So write that down. When you are changed, when you are forced to change, you typically tend to be less prepared and your circumstances are not as good. So that means you're having to change with less money. Okay. So like, think about that. You're having to, you're having to do it with less confidence. When you change by design, if you engineer it correctly, you were actually more prepared. You have the resources for it, okay? And so just model that out. So are you a person, you know, we, if I'm sitting here scrutinizing your past, I, the first thing I would do is assess, are you literally a person who only change when you have to? And you, by, by choice, put yourself in that position by denial and not dealing with the truth, and then you respond, okay? Or are you a person who, right, uh, changes by design? And, and so you go, I want to change by design. I want to change when I don't have to change, but I'm changing because I know getting ahead of it is very important. All right, let's go back over some history. I want to give you just a, I, I won't talk a lot about this, but I think it's probably important that we set the stage. And, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you again, to you, you're going to write out your future. You're going to learn some things about you, all right? This is the whole goal. I don't have an agenda, all right? I want to help you. 
And so what you need to first realize is it's important that I tell you the background so you understand why this is important to me to help you. And let's do, oh, and if you'll write down, you always, ha- I want you to write this down. You must, in all situations in life, assess the source of the information. So I'm going to give that to you so you understand it. In other words, I want you to write that down. You must assess. So a great tip in life, right? If you want to look back in your history about mistakes, you're going to find that you were influenced by people with clear agendas in hindsight, but you couldn't see them at the moment. So, and it is what is happening. Look, I work with thousands of clients around the world and I watch grown men and women follow to their demise, follow terrible decisions because they don't understand that. And I, hey, today, like this is it, right? Right now, this is the moment, right? You go, hey, moving forward, I'm going to study the bias of the information that I'm receiving. And I'm inviting you to do it with me. In other words, I'm not saying do it with everybody else and not me. So let me go through a little bit of this. So number one, I started my first company when I was 18 years of age. So I've been running a business since then. And I don't have a count of the number of businesses because I've certainly kept some for a long time. But over the years, I've run multiple businesses. So most likely, I have been the primary shareholder of more corporations than you. Now, that's not a big deal. And by the way, some very successful, some not, some I lost interest in, so on and so forth. Some I sold, some I kept. But I want you to understand, I've been doing it since I was 18. So I started knowing nothing, and I've made a lot of mistakes. And so, okay, so... I have been in the, today, I am probably hands down, right, for 30 years, I and I still am, in the new patient business. And we're not going to talk about new patients, but you got to know something, that I am probably the single, I mean, like, there, I, I, there's, I don't think you're going to find another person that has done what I have done for new patient generation for doctors. I got the best track record of it. I got the greatest results. And I know how to walk in and just like adjusting the thermostat, move a doctor from 10 new patients a month to 100 new patients a month. And I've done it thousands and thousands of time. And it is undeniable that I can do that. I probably have the most knocked off company in the entire world. There are more Jay Geyer Scheduling Institute copycats than, right? I mean, and, and I, that's the position I hold. I can still do that for you. That is, write this down. New patients is one of three ways to grow your, just write that down. It's just one. Like, hey, and I'm not going to talk about it, but you got to know that, If there was a world champion who you could access to get your new patients to go up, it isn't anybody but me. In other words, and I'd take on anybody at any time, just like a boxing match. And I have said 
that just so you understand the level of confidence, I have said I would be willing to put a million dollars in escrow to take anyone on at taking any practice, two comparable practices, and we go head to head and the winner gets the million dollars. And I have never had anybody take it. I've told my clients for 20 years, or probably the last 10, if you, you know, so, and, but I, we're not going to talk about that. So write down new, so, but I, I need to, it's important we understand that, okay? And I can do that. We can do that. And, but put it aside and write down new patients is one of three ways to grow your practice. All right? But we're going to move on. And by the way, it's prob- probably the primary way. Of the three ways, it probably holds the position as most important, okay? But I'm not going to talk about that tonight. But you got to know that about my history, okay? Now, what does have to occur is you got to do it the way I tell you to do it. You got to be willing to deal with staff. I mean, it's, look, that's, that's part of the program. So we're going to set that aside, but we know that. That's where I, my position is. And subsequently now, I have been for many, many years helping doctors to create really amazing practice. So most likely, and again, I don't know what your history with me is, but most likely if you went to the doctor in town that's the biggest, best, the one you hate because they have a great practice and they suck up all the patients, nine out of ten times that person's been my client. And most people, and literally, when I'm in a room of people and I say, who's the doctor you hate most? And they say this name. I go, you know, I know that guy. I've known him for 10 years. And what the doctor who has envy about the largest practice doesn't understand is that that doctor has been working harder, doing the right thing, and that's why they have a big practice. They're not cheats. As a matter of fact, they're the exact opposite of cheats. They've actually paid the price. And so I've been creating these big, amazing practices all over the world. And so what I'm going to talk to you about, and so today, the Scheduling Institute, and you'd never be able to see this because I don't publish it and put it around, is most likely has a few things you don't know. Number one, we have probably the largest practice management division of any company, right? It does what we do. We have the most, we're in the most offices and training the most people. So last year alone, 2,000 different offices. We put on coaching workshops, events at levels that bigger than any private group in the country does. And there's not an association and probably some of those. And so what I'm going to talk to you about is information from my laboratory, So, like, imagine you'll never have my view. You will never have my view. It doesn't matter if you go to every seminar in the world, you'll never have my view. You will never have worked with as many different people as I have doing the kind of things we've doing and the sheer size of my laboratory. So when I talk to you tonight, it is important that you understand the platform of which I share this information. Okay? I So let's go through it. So it's current. So it's real. Right? So... I, it's real and I'm giving you the information and I am like you in the sense that I am a practitioner. So I coach clients, train teams, I, I, just like you see patients and then I'm the CEO of the Scheduling Institute 
and I'm a dad, and I got a dog, I got three kids, right? I got all the same stuff. I got to deal with my health, family health, right? I mean, what I want you to understand is we're just people, all right? And people all have very similar things. And so, but the platform is current, it is real, and it is from this laboratory of which I speak to you. I'm not making this stuff up. It all comes from a very solid foundation of many, many years of experience, and I want to share it with you, right? Just like uh, Alan Goodwin, who's my mentor, I've been lucky to have several mentors, and at some point in life, that's what you want to try to do. But it is important that I am okay with you judging the platform, and I want you to learn. And so here's a couple things. And I tell clients, this, don't ever take money-making advice, right? So from people who don't make more than you, that's another thing. Write that down. Don't take money-making advice from people who make less than you, and that very well may include the person you sleep with, all right? There's advice you need to take from that person, but it isn't necessarily money-making advice all the time, okay? So write that down. Now, I have a lot of data. I do a lot of things. So we're going to go to work on this. I'm not going to talk a lot about that, but it is important. This is why I deserve you to not be distracted, okay? Because most likely, if you wanted to bite off, let's say you said, Jay, I want to have a private day, the price is $50,000, and people actually pay. I have people who pay 50000 over and over and over again. So put a value on it, right? That's where we are. So whatever distraction you have, trust me, it's not going to be as valuable as this conversation. So let's go to work. And by the way, my purpose, and I want you to capture this so you understand it, is I have a purpose diagram. I call it the impact diagram, and I'll be very quick about it. Inside of that diagram, after many, many years of working with clients and sometimes being very frustrated by them and confused by them and so on and so forth, I learned that what most people desire is the following, but they cannot articulate it, and their behavior is really wacky and weird, but this is what they want. So write this down. Freedom of time and freedom of money. Okay, I'm going to say those again. What I have learned is that what most people want that they cannot articulate for a multitude of reasons is they want freedom of time and freedom of money. So if you're a doctor today, what is frustrating you is when you don't have freedom of time. And for many, many years, when I started the Scheduling Institute, I would try to work on the problem of a doctor wanted to be off, and how do I actually generate revenue while they're off? And, but they didn't know that was what was going on. They, weren't always, they were in denial about the fact that their golf game was costing them $10,000 a week. And they certainly didn't want to have that conversation. So what if a doctor today says, well, I'm going to join a DSO, which we'll talk about later. I'm going to sell my practice. I'm going to tell you what they're in the quest of. They're in the quest of those two things, but they can't articulate it. So stop and think about that for a second. All 
bad decisions and mistakes and accidents occur when a person is under time duress, all right? So if you think about that, if you have to treat patients all day and then you say you're supposed to go to a family dinner and then you're checking checking your phone at the family dinner not concentrating on your family or you know you're distracted or you're tired think about like a thursday afternoon if you're a practitioner who does monday to thursday you know come thursday afternoon you're not you're not a real charmer probably for your family right it's not like you're oh man i'm really you know great on those days so I have found, and I want you to recapture that and say, how important to you? And then the third thing people will always say to me, and it's funny, is they'll say, God, if they're, that's important to them. And they'll say family. Now they'll say those two, sometimes before they'll say, I want time and money. So hopefully that helps you. Hopefully you can take a minute and to think about in your future, what do you really want? And the business of being a doctor who owns their own practice, who sees all the patients, deals with all the staff, runs the company, is that you will eventually run out of time. And when you run out of time, okay, you ready? When you run out of time, normally what happens is your life becomes less meaningful so if you take a person who says, well, and a lot of people who are religious will say this, and again, if you're not religious, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's your golf game, or right? You have something that you want to do. If you, you know, if, if a person's hobby is to go out drinking, then they want time to go out drinking and money to go drinking. If their hobby is golf, they want time or fishing or hunting or whatever. But if you take a typical person and you say, well, I have a question. Do you put God first in your life? The answer for most people is no. Just like I say, hey, you know, you're, you're, you have a son. And I say, have you put little Johnny first? Most people kind of say, well, no, I guess I really haven't. You know, what about your wife? What about your husband? Right. And for most people, the truth of the matter is they don't put those people first. And the reason is because they're pursuing money and they're giving up their time. And listen, the way the world works, you're going to have to do it. I'm not suggesting in a fantasy world you know, that you shouldn't do it. But what I want you to think about is what is important to you and your business needs to be designed to get you what you want, but it is actually designed to do the exact opposite if you just let it run its course. So we got to, we got to interfere for that. So I want to attack this issue of competitive advantage. So in what we said you'd learn is you're going to learn how to create a competitive advantage. And that's what I'm going to show you. And so the doctor, and but, but here's what I want you to remember. I'm going to giving you the points, right? See, I'm telling them to you already, right? And, but I'm also concerned about you as a person. And I come, I have a view of watching you for the past 10 years and for the next 10. That's the creepy part, okay? Listen to me. Wherever you are, I've seen the next 10 and I've seen the last 10 of you over and over again. And I've seen that thing played out in different ways. Now, I got news for you. 
you may not see it. Does that make sense? You get trapped in what your current situation is, forgetting the truth, and really sometimes getting confused about what it is you want because you're frustrated in your current situation. So let's go through this. So how are we going to get a comp- So here are some of the things we said we're going to do. We're going to talk about a competitive advantage. And what I'm going to be building here for you is what makes up a competitive advantage. We are going to talk about this thing about impending crisis, right? Everybody loves to talk about an impending crisis. And I want to, I want to debunk that for you. We're going to talk about where you can get more profitability, how important people are, how to motivate your team. So let's just kind of get to work on this. So number one, so what we want to do is, and I want you to capture this, is how you create a competitive advantage and I have a franchise on this, right? And we call it creating your own category or a category of one business. The Scheduling Institute, there is no other company in the world like the Scheduling Institute. There are many companies who say they are, but they're not. Many of you think you know what I do. You don't know what I do. Okay? And so that's all by design. And it's, it's a competitive advantage. Only the people in the inner belly know what the company really actually does. So what I want you to do is to design how the ultimate competitive advantage. And if the biggest guy in town or gal in town is probably one of my clients, we have engineered something you may not have. We may have the biggest sign. We may have the best location. We may have the best ads. But what is inside of that building is we also have built the absolute best people and culture. And so there's actually a culture. There's a, and culture is a thing. It's the feel you get when you walk into a business. And you've walked into plenty of businesses where you go, this is a horrible business. I just want to leave. And I won't get into all that you know, today, but there are a lot of examples and you've, I know you've personally experienced when you walk into a business and a business is dead. Okay. So the competitive advantage is to create a practice that is in a category one. We're going to break this out. And, And it's interesting. And when I say that, here's what I'm saying to you. It's in a category of one to one particular person, the customer. And that's the only one that matters. It's not necessarily in the ads. It's in the, and for you, it would be the patient. So what we want to do is we want to create a situation where your patient is convinced. So I'm going to tell you this. The reason why that doctor you don't like in your town who's just destroying everything and everybody, not by design, is that they've got their patient convinced you're not getting this anywhere else. And they've experienced the other thing in history, and every time they walk in, it's remarkable. Every time they walk in, it's extraordinary. Every time they walk in, it just validates the fact that I can't go anywhere else to get this. This is the only place. That's Who needs to think you have a category one business? It is not you because there's most likely no way 
you be able to do it. As a matter of fact, in all the years I've taken on clients, I will tell you this interesting fact. I have yet to meet a person who tells me they have a less than desirable patient experience. Let me repeat that again. So if I ask you today, how is your patient experience? I know what your answer is going to be. You're literally going to tell me it's fantastic. And I, and, 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 and remember thousands, thousands of clients all over the world. I have never had a doctor come to me and say, Jay, my patient experience is atrocious. My team is so worried about eating a donut, texting their hair, what they're going to do this weekend. And I'm in the back. And while I'm in the back, I mean, they're basically putting themselves in front of the patient and it's having an effect on my relationship. See, no one has ever said that to me and you're like 20 feet away from them and you can't see it because what happens in our own bubble sometimes is we just think our reality is the only reality so much to the point instead of being curious about why that other doctor is just taking all the patients, you're judgmental. And you judge them and go, they must be cheating or their, ad, their advertising is unethical or blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that you say when you're, you're not in reality about the situation. I've heard it all. Ready to ask questions? Call Jay's team today at 770-518-7575. How can you get connected with Jay's community of doctors who are growing their businesses? How can you become a better leader? How can you fix your energy problem? How do you create a winning culture in your practice? How do you become excited about the future? Are you curious? Call us today, 770-518-7575. So again, never have I met a client, including you. If I said to you, what is your patient experience? Like you would literally tell me it's great. And I would say, what about your team? He's, oh, they're great. And you, you would most likely actually not be accurate because you don't, how can you know what a great team is, is all you know is that's as good as you can get them at the particular time. And by the way, I'm not judging your team. I'm just sharing with you how is it that I can meet thousands of doctors all over the world and every single one of them, n nobody ever says they have a bad patient experience. But yet when we go in and change it, their business goes five, six times larger in less than 10 years. Okay, see, that's the issue that we got to deal with. And so I don't expect you to think it is. I'm just encouraging you that if you want to have a competitive advantage, the new way to look at it is there's going to be evidence. So here's what I'm saying. Evidence of the case. So evidence means that when a patient walks in the door, they say to you, this is the nicest office I have ever been in. This is the nicest staff I have ever seen. This is the best. And they say those words. Now you got to go back and look and, and, and you can't go, well, I just think they're not actually saying it. I think they mean it, but they're not saying it. Do you have notes? Have people sent you letters? Like, and again, not one from 1970, but like, did you get one last week about that? Okay. So the competitive advantage is designing, write it down, designing a practice that the patient will think is in a category of one. Now, what, why is that important? Because then they stay with you. Okay, that's how you get a competitive advantage. And we're going to go through some of the elements of it. Now, let's go through crisis. Very important you understand this. Write this down. I think this is great advice. And when 
Look, I'm guilty of writing some ads to try to scare people talking about the impending crisis. And let me tell you why I do it. Number one, I usually believe it's true. And so here's the truth about crisis. There are three things that are true about crisis. Okay, you ready? Number one, number one, you may be heading into one. All right? So write that down. Heading in. Okay? Number two, you may be coming out of crisis. And number three, you may be in it. And what I find fascinating is how few people understand that that's how life goes down. All right? And, you know, and so when you meet a person who you say, well, how are things going? They say, not well. And they're in crisis. You know, a lot of times they're in crisis in their marriage. They're in crisis with their money. They're in crisis with their team. They're in crisis with their practice. They're in crisis with the bank. I mean, they're in crisis with everybody. Now, rarely do they, you know, and you're, by the way, your mind has an ability to deny that you're in crisis. And, and usually that will just add another crisis. But if you actually stop and realize that that's really all you need to know about crisis. And so if you now say, well, what, what do I want to learn, right? So if we go heading in, you ready? You want to learn to predict. Because if I can predict, and we're going to talk about this, I'm going to tell some things to you that will help you predict what's going to occur. If you actually take a little time to study and learn and watch and listen and you predict what's going to happen, you avoid the crisis. And actually, sometimes it can be an advantage, okay? If you're in it, and, and this is very important, if you're in it, it's really important to understand denial and ruts. Denial and ruts. Ruts are where you can't see how to get out of it, and, and, and that's where we get, right? And, and, and you don't want to get in a rut. And we have all been in a rut, and if you're in a rut, I'm sorry, and I hate it for you, but hey, there's only one way out, right? Design, pay the price to get out. You know, climb the thing, do what it is. But some people will stay in a rut. And again, it's all I'd have to do is study your history and I'd know, hey, can you predict uh, heading into a crisis or do you blindly walk right into it? And, and by the way, if I go back to your history, I could show you all the ones you walked into. And usually in hindsight, you can see it. Why didn't I do this, right? So if, you went, if somebody went back and, you know, it was like in 2009, you went and bought a condo, two-bedroom condo in Florida, most likely you overpaid. And in 2012, that condo was worth way less than you, you paid for it. But maybe in 2019, the condo's back to what its value was or even more, right? So again, you actually in hindsight can see all that. So you have to be able to predict to avoid getting in and then when you get in some people can't identify they're in and then it turns into a rut okay and then again when you're coming out think about this when you're coming out of crisis what's the goal write this down never repeat that crisis again i mean the fascinating thing is if i'm actually going to get in a crisis okay that means i have missed i have i missed avoiding it by predicting it Secondly, I got in it. I probably got in a rut. Well, if I ever do come out, I can tell you what I'll do is I'll now parlay that experience to, to, to now I should be better at predicting when it's going to occur. I love that stuff, right? And I mean, it's just amazing to me how few people. So if we take 
that lesson and we apply it to your history, I could just show you time and hopefully you have the ability to do this. And then are you repeating the same thing, right? Like you, you, God has given you an ability to have insight in things and not repeat the same thing. If you do it by design, if you're unintentional, it just keeps repeating. So again, you know somebody who keeps repeating the same mistake, right? It could be one of your kids, could be a friend, your brother-in-law, whatever. And you can see it clear as day. So what you got to be able to do is be objective. And usually that requires the insight of other people. And that's what I'm trying to give you right now. So you are either coming out in or heading into a crisis at all times on a bunch of different issues. So it's not like it's just one issue. So we'll go through some of those. So if you understand that, okay, quit acting like you're going to be out of crisis forever. Okay, quit acting like you can't get out of one and quit acting like your crisis is the bubonic destruction plague because that you just made up in your head. You deserve, hey, hey, if you put yourself in it by not changing, that's, you only change when you're forced to, which is that the rut is so bad that, you know, I mean, right? That you're in complete depression and you're forced to change. That's a, that you created that and you are responsible for that. That's why that lesson is so important. So if you see your kid heading for a crisis, I think you would intercede. I think you would interject. I think you would try to redirect them. And that's what you want to do. Now, trends, let's talk about trends. So you understand crisis, you understand that you're in control, and you understand the change is either forced or designed, and that kind of goes together, okay? Well, who are we talking about again? Your future, your past, your future. You want to have a competitive advantage? Then we have to design a competitive advantage. You want to know how to deal with the trends? You, I'm going to tell, help you with this, right? They're, they're all predictable, okay? Now, you also need to watch the biases, okay? So let's keep moving. So what are trends? Let me give you an example of some trends. What is the trend? What is going on in our industry? What is going on in our market? What's in the headspace of, what's in your headspace, right? What are you thinking about today? So what I want you to do is I want you to draw a stick person on a piece of paper who will represent you. So I'm going to draw you. And then what you do is you draw lots of bubbles around you, right? Like maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 bubbles. And you start to write in what in the heck you're thinking about, okay? So the first thing that I'm going to tell you that you're thinking about is you're thinking about CE and you're thinking about clinical training. And as a matter of fact, for a lot of you, you may need to enlarge that bubble. So that means that by profession and by industry that you have been bred to believe that a major priority in your life is to depart from your residence, go for a week, a weekend, a month, and to learn to be a better clinician. And that just kind of like a person, if you go on the golf course, and I'm not a big golfer, you know, and you want to be a better golfer, you've probably taken more lessons and spend more time. So you... A big bubble is that continuing education. And I, I need you to identify what it is. And as a matter of fact, it may just be your big, big, big bubble. Okay, then start going through the list. If you're married, let's put your spouse. 
if you're a person of faith, maybe there's church activities, mission trips, personal worship. Maybe there's none of that. Um, if you still hang out with your college buddies or whatever, you know, your men's trips, your, your kids, so you write the names of each of your kids, right? And then you say, okay, your practice, but actually inside of your practice, you also need to write your team and oh, maybe you have your hygienist needs extra attention and then you have multiple teams. So if you will just draw out what is getting your attention, right? And then what you're gonna see, what most people see is sometimes what is getting the most, oh, by the way, you better write patience, right? So again, if we look at this and we say, just from a pure hour perspective, you probably spend your most time treating patients, okay? So again, you'd write down how many hours a week do I treat patients? Okay, if you sleep for X number of hours, a great study for all of us is to just take all the time in the day, we all have the same amount of time, and say, what are you doing with your time? And so most doctors that I find who are either in crisis, uh, trying to get out of a crisis or heading for crisis, that most of their time and attention is on uh, treating patients and on developing a high clinical acumen. And it is not on the circle where you're supposed to lead your team. Write that down. Lead your team. And the other circle is, and if you're a male, right, so I'm just giving this as a male example, is, and if you're a, a female doctor who owns a practice, you have to lead your team. But on the family side, the male is also supposed to lead the family. So I just want to remind you as a person that most likely, if you're on this, you're supposed to lead. And so write this down. Am I leading in the most important areas with intention? Am I leading in the most important areas with intention? And what you need to be able to truth tell and what I can tell you that I would predict and I want you to look at honestly and soberly is that when you say what's most important to you, most people say family, God, health. They don't start with their practice, but when you say, well, where do you spend the most time? They say the practice, and I'm starting to not like it. And so, it's, so this pattern is a very predictable pattern. So how are you doing at making the most important things important and how are you scoring yourself? And is it possible that more time doing the thing that you're spending the most time on, as a matter of fact, is actually going to head you into a rut? Because I can tell you that with every doctor I've ever met, the older they get, the tireder they get, and the more frustrated they sometimes get with treating patients, particularly if the rest of their life is an imbalance. So if today that's, see, you're either heading to this or heading away from it. And right now, you're what I call very susceptible. So I want you to write that down, susceptible. What does that mean? Well, if I was going to teach you how to be successful, 
the first thing I would teach you is how not to be susceptible. So when I talked earlier about biases and the way people will affect you, susceptibility is when you are fantasizing about someone else doing what's difficult to do for you, you become susceptible and you can be taken advantage of. So if you were to watch TV shows like Greed and Scams, you will always see in a susceptible person and the scammer going right after that, they know where the susceptibility is. So for instance, if I wanted to make up something to get to a doctor, what I would make up is that I would say, hey, you know what? I'm going to buy your practice, and is all you're going to need to do is see the patients. If I literally wanted to come up with the easiest way to go after the where I see a point of susceptibility, that's what I would do. And I would tell you that you're going to make more money. I'll take care of the team. I'll do everything. Now, I personally don't do that because I am an advocate for the individual privately held practice. I will spend the remainder of my days advocating, training, teaching individual people like you to run independent businesses that will give them freedom of time and freedom of money and provide employment to teams. I will teach them how to invest in those people and those relationships and how to eventually get time and money back. Now, what you are susceptible to is not wanting to do that work and fantasizing about someone doing it. So today in our industry, when the Heartland salesperson comes along, the latest complete crock of you know what is the DMO and the DSO. And I mean, I'm watching doctors. See, the, DM, the DSO is nothing but a new sales scam. And I literally can't believe how many people don't understand the scam. The proposition is, we're going to take away everything you struggle with and you're going to be just, no, the proposition is, you are going to give away your life's work and you are going to give away your ability to have freedom of time and money. But the way they present it is the opposite because it's where they know you're susceptible. And that is going on in our industry. And doctors are in fear. They're not in intentional leadership, okay? And, and so I'll link all this together for you, but we don't want to be susceptible. So I'm telling you right now, there is a bias and a tilt in your time, in where you're putting your energy, and I need you to sit down and you need to have a little talk with yourself and you need to say, if I amp up and just keep doing this and keep doing this, is it going to actually solve the problem? And you can literally figure that out by looking at your history and going, well, no, I've been doing this for, for 40 years and I still have the problem. Your practice today is the best you're going to get it. In other words, 
if you've been at this for 20 years, that's as good as you're going to be. Like, in other words, it's, and, and it's, it's all very predictable, right? And, you know, my, one of my favorite things is when I, I take on a client, I say, hey, listen, you know, the only thing we're going to have to do is I'll help you, but if it becomes between my decision and a decision your staff makes, my decision has to go. Because that same staff member was with you and got you to where you are, I'm trying to take you to another place. So my decision has to rule, not theirs. I love when team members try to protect a doctor, which is another real crock. I'm protecting the doctor. No, what you're actually doing is you're protecting yourself from having to change and you're totally screwing the doctor. You're totally, and, and, and hey, you lead, they follow. So again, how are you doing at leading your family? How are you doing at leading your practice? And is it possible that this quenching desire to receive continuing education credits or new certificates has paid as many dividends as it's going to pay? I'm not telling you to be incompetent. I'm telling you not to be obsessed. And I'm telling you to switch your time and attention to what's going to give you what you really want. Is it going to, so every time you go learn a new clinical technique, I'm going to tell you exactly what it's going to do. It is going to take away a bunch of your time and it isn't necessarily going to create a bunch of financial freedom. I mean, think about that. It's actually going to create the need for you to do more work. And, you know, the new trend we're going to get to is, you know, people said, I mean, back in 2009, 10, Everybody who had said, look, I don't want to do hygiene. I just want to charge people a lot of money. All the cosmetic dentists got crushed because they couldn't finance. And I changed so many of them into bread and butter practitioners because they had to. Probably heading back towards something like that. Okay, so, whew. All right, so get that assessment done. And then I want you to write this down. It's possible you don't know what you need. How about this? Is it possible you don't know what you need? Is it possible you don't know what you need? And what you keep doing is just doing more of what's actually not solving the problem. Okay, that's for you to judge. And again, if you write it down, you have to defend it. I mean, imagine making a presentation. Like if you're signed up to go to a three-month educational course to learn how to do something and you've been practicing for 30 years, I'll be honest with you, it's a little bit of a joke to me. I go, why aren't you employing a person and sending them to learn it and just getting it done in your practice? See, because it's the way you think. So you're going to go to this course, but then, okay, again, are you leading your family and are you leading your practice or are you just busy being busy? And again, look back at the history. And I could predict where you're going to be based on what is all I'd have to see is what's on your calendar, what you're doing, where you're spending your time. I can tell you what's going to happen to practice. And some of you are walking right into the susceptibility course and you're not doing what you need to do to make money. And another trend that is going on right now is money is available. So we have people thinking they're okay and not producing because they can borrow money. And so if your liabilities are going up, your debts are going up, it's a false reality about your productivity. Okay, so corporate dentistry, DSOs, DMOs, all of these, they're a trick to presenting to your susceptibility points. 
And I am, we're going to go through this. Okay, so let's see. So we're going to talk a little about getting top-notch talent. And actually top-notch talent got some things I can show you. So, all right, let's go through this. So how, so the first thing we do when you want to get a competitive advantage is, I want you to write this down. We're going to start with the customer. Start with the customer. So let's take a minute. Let's go through a few things. And let's just think about the last 10 years. Let's talk about what's going on socially. Let's talk about what's going on economically. Let's talk about what's happening with the doctor. Let's talk about, okay, so let's go through a few things. Socially, okay, socially. So what that means is, so in so so we got a 99% and we got a 1% and guess who's evil? The most productive people. I mean, amazing thing. That's going on socially, right? We have a virtual world. So, okay, we have a selfie society. So again, is all you got to do is go anywhere where people are on vacation, any sort of a place, any kind of a school. They're literally walking around. You've seen it if you have kids in your car. They're taking pictures of themselves nonstop, posting them on Instagram over and over and over again. Okay, so socially, we got some really weird stuff going on that we don't know what's going to occur. But there's some good news in that, right? And so again, in the last 10 years, that's arrived. Okay, so the good news about it is, guess what, for you, the great trend is, it's kind of socially unacceptable to have terrible teeth. I mean, think about it. Like the good side is you really, there's no excuse for not fixing your teeth. And the question is, are you playing into that or not? And probably not. I mean, it's just, there's just no reason to do it. Okay. And all right, so let's look at the money side. So 2009, there was no money available. So what I want you to understand, you most likely don't understand that the money supply makes a big difference about what's going on in the economy. So today, you can get anything you want financed, okay, with a little money down, and consumer debt is rising. Okay, that is not going to stay. So eventually, just like it did in 09, right, 08, it's going to catch up, and you have to have a tightening, and people have to become more productive. But right now, that's not the case. So you need to take advantage of that on the business side, but not fall prey to it on the personal side. Otherwise, you're most likely going to create some financial mistakes. And by the way, the industry, I'm going to go through buyers and sellers in a minute. So we'll talk about how this applies to you, right? And so let me take it to a doctor. So what I'm seeing with doctors is the following. Number one, most of them are getting older, by the way. And number two, they're being brainwashed that they have to go to work for someone else. And the crazy thing is, I mean, it's one thing to let them brainwash a little puppy coming out of school, but they're actually brainwashing these independent doctors who have owned practice for 25 years, and these people are falling prey to it with very little study. I can't tell you the number of clients that come to me and said, I'm going to sell my practice, and I said, you haven't even read the contract, have you? And they don't respond, and they haven't even read the contract. They're too cheap to pay a lawyer to read the contract, but they're about to sign a contract and go to work for somebody, but they haven't paid a lawyer. This is the level of stupidity that is occurring among you and your friends, okay? I'm not saying it's you. Maybe it is, but who signs their life's work way without even paying a lawyer to read the contract? I mean, I just, and I see it all the time. Now, again, am I biased? Absolutely not. Am I biased to stupidity? Yeah, I kind of have a bias to not doing things that are stupid. Because when you do things that are stupid and the crisis comes like, oh, wow, this isn't what I thought it was, but you signed the paper that said what it was, you made it, not them. You made it. They designed it. You made it. 
I am seeing doctors who are now borrowing more money, causing them not to focus on being productive. I want That's a trend right now. If the money supply loosens up, are your credit lines going up or your bank accounts going up? So right now, is it possible that you're actually borrowing money and you're not hustling? So when a doctor can borrow more money, they don't have to hustle. And if they don't understand change by design, then they're not going to change by, right? They're going to wait for change by choice. That's what's happening with doctors today. And they're incredibly distracted. And we have this thing. And then they're saying, well, what about these millennials? What about these millennials? Okay, what about this person who shows up late? What about this person who does this? What about you're a terrible leader? What about you have no standard? What about there is no standard? I mean, you go to a typical kind of, you know, when I get around a group of people and it's like, okay, does anyone have a problem they'd like me to solve? And I, and I love this. It's like if you had office managers and doctors, they're like, how do I get the person to get here on time? And I'm thinking to myself, wow. And you know what the real answer is? You got no standards. So they're going to show up late. There's no answer to that question. The answer is set a standard. So what we find is doctors do not have standards because they're not leading. The practices that are killing it, there's a standard. And I'm going to tell you what good people want in just a minute, okay? You also have a lot of people, doctors, thinking that this is the high point, and I have to sell my practice, so I'll go through that. What's good about the trends? Vanities at an all-time high. People want good teeth, all-time high, more whitening, more, you know, everything, right? Oh, because you got to have, you're taking pictures like they're taking pictures. You can't have bad teeth. It just doesn't work. You need to take advantage of that, right? You can improve their selfies. You can improve their social. I mean, like, look, this is a money opportunity for you, and you need to be taking advantage of it. It's a terrible social trend, but it has positive economic things for you um, that you, you want to look at, right? So the trend is good. Money is available. Financing for big cases is available. So you should be making hay right now, okay, by design. Now, but doesn't mean that you should... go crazy spending. So in other words, I don't mind making the money, but then conserving it on the backside, okay? So again, when you look at trends, what do we know? You can have lived a trend. And what I want you to know is, and here's what I'd like you to do right now, because it's very important. This is, this is what you got to decide. So go back to your diagram. We have today, and we have your past, right? And we talked about that. But today, here's what I want to know. What's your age? And I want to know when you want to give up having an income in your business. And I want you to figure out how many years you have left. So, and it's really funny because I'm about to go through buyers and sellers. Actually, let me, I'll come back to this. But so, right, actually, no, make a decision. How many more years and not the way the practice is now because that's not my question. How many more years are you going to want the income from your business? See, what a lot of you make the mistake of doing is you make the mistake, and this is susceptibility, is saying, well, I just don't want things to be the way they are, so I'm going to sell my practice. Well, that's not the only option in the world. As a matter of fact, that's the terrible. It's not even the right frame to make the decision. It's what makes you susceptible. I'm asking you, the real question is, how long are you going to need the income? So again, if you're 50 and 
and again, genetically and whatever, I mean, if all your whole family's living to 90, you're probably gonna live to 90. That means you got 40 more years. Now, I get if between 80 and 90, you don't wanna be working in the business, but you might wanna go to 70 or 75, right? And so in other words, like, and so you could have 20, 25 years. So if you decide how, I mean, look at the numbers. This is like, den denial is not looking at the numbers, right? not a healthy thing. So once you see those numbers, the reason why that's so important is it tells you the number of downturns and rises you're going to live for. You tend to run about a 10-year pattern, 10, 12-year pattern. I mean, so, but if you're 50 and you need income for 30 or 40 more years and you literally have very little savings or less than, you know, a million dollars, I got news for you. You're delusional. So, what we want to do is the question, right? The question for you, me coaching you, it's not what they're telling you. It's what you know is your truth. So I'm asking you right now to tell me how long you want income because what you need to do, okay, you, you need to design income to pay your expenses and to pay for what you want to do. And so this conversation is not about whether, like, what you're going to do as far as treating patients or not treating No, it's about income. Your expenses will go until the day you die. And what I have found most people have, they just, they create a frame that doesn't make any sense. So you, right, so you need to make money and how many years, and that will tell you how many more downturns you should sit through. So for instance, I'm, I, I, my advice is ignore this one, prepare for it, and seize opportunity. The people that have been with me the entire time, we bought buildings, those buildings have doubled in appreciation, they've gotten paid for, they've created, taken massive market share, and a few of them are gonna immaturely think that this was the only trend. I mean, how stupid. They should sit this next one out, maybe they're gonna catch the next wave. In other words, if you want to make or create a lot of assets, you want to go through a few trends and be strategic about predicting where they're going to be. So if you come to me and you're 50 years old and you're sitting here going, I think I'm going to sell my practice, I think I'm going to sell my practice, you are probably, you haven't answered the question, is it economically correct for me to sell the practice? And based on my age and the amount of time I'm going to have income, have I actually predicted the, the cycle that I should catch, the exit of? It's like catching the wave too early, so to speak. So that's the, that is how you ought to do it. Now, there's another way to do it. It's not when they say to you, well, you'll never be able to get this price again. That's crap because I can take you back to 2008, 2009. That's exactly what they told people back then. It's the same thing they're telling people now. It's just a different form of snake oil. And again, is are you susceptible, right? Are you sitting here at you know 48 years of age thinking that, oh, I should sell my practice now because I'll never be this good? That's actually you just not understanding the world, right? I mean, you're understanding the seller. So what you want to do is just draw a curve. And what that curve is going to be is it's going to be bad times. And if you think about where you make a lot of money, it's from being prepared for the bad times, sort of hedging down for the bad times and then riding up the good times. And what I can tell you, and you can go back in history and figure this out. If any of you have been around any kind of time, you probably have two or three things. I should have, I should have, I should have. Okay. Okay. Guess what we need to be doing, doing it. 
not should have. So for instance, I bought an enormous amount of property and I bought it when no one else would buy it and there was no financing for it. And so that property's all paid off. And today, if I want to choose to sell any of that, I get the money back. That was by design, okay? And you want to do things by design. You don't want to get caught, right? And, and I'm telling you, there are trends. And there will be dips, and then they will come back. And you want to buy in the dip, all right? And you do want to sometimes sell in the high. Markets are hard to predict. But you don't want, when we talk about giving up your entire livelihood, that's a totally different conversation, okay? So let's go through this. I want you to make two boxes. And over on the left, I want you to write buyer. And over on the right, I want you to do seller. And what this is going to do is this will be very helpful in this, you know, in this impending circumstance, what's going on in the forecast and whatnot. What you need to understand is the, so what we're going to do is we have buyer and seller, and I'm going to talk about the characteristics of each, okay? And I'm going to give you some advice. And so let's go over to seller. And what you're going to do is at times you're going to play both of these roles, okay? But let's start with the seller, okay? And so when you're the seller, what do you want to do, right? So let, let's think about this. Usually we want to make a profit, okay? So a good seller when you sell something, ideally you would make a profit. So I, I'm not a big fan of selling things and losing money, okay, unless we're trying to reduce, so write down reduce expenses. So recently I sold a piece of property and one of the pleasant surprises was I realized I was also reducing my expenses. Fine, it was not a business property, right, but so that made sense. Okay, so a good seller should sell, okay, you wanna maximize profits, you want to sometimes use expenses, and usually I'm gonna write, it's timely, okay? So you sell something when it's timely, like if you're not using it anymore, if it doesn't serve a purpose, then that's the time sometimes you wanna sell it. If you think it's gonna drop in value, you wanna sell it. So for instance, in 2018, Okay, you know, one of my lifetime goals was I always wanted to have Ferrari, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to afford Ferraris and go write a check for a Ferrari. But today I don't have any Ferraris. And the reason I don't have any Ferraris is I knew that in the end of 2008 that there was some dude who is high on the hog who would buy my Ferrari. And if the market turns there's a lot less guys who will buy a Ferrari. Because I've had Ferraris, and I happen to know that they're not really great everyday driving cars. They're actually kind of uncomfortable and blah, 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 and everybody wants to touch it. And so do you understand that the reason I don't have a Ferrari today is because I wanted to sell my Ferrari when there was buyers and then spend years without a Ferrari? And I'm not saying that if things were to crash and you couldn't buy a Ferrari at you know three quarters or half the price that I'd ever not go back and buy a Ferrari, but I'm just giving you an example. It's timely, okay? Now, at the same time, I'm not selling my business. So that's what I want you to understand, right? So again, we don't want to confuse seller mentality because Ferraris only create expenses, businesses create incomes. 
So when you look at an asset, I want you to write down, you've got to really understand the asset, okay? But if you think about a seller, you do want to sell things, right? All that is accurate, but that's not exactly what we're talking about. So, um, okay, uh, now let's, let's go over to the buyer. Now, it's so interesting when you go to buying, and again, you're saying, why, Jay, why are you talking about this? Because it applies to talent, it applies to what's going on in your market, and it's really in your head. So this is why you got to talk about it, right? And so as a person who runs a business, person who has assets, you got to know when to be a buyer, when to be a seller. So for instance, we got to know when to buy talent, right? So you want to buy talent, okay? You don't, okay. And again, someone's trying to sell you something, right? So bad, like you got to remember this about some sellers. Like I'll never forget, I bought a house from a guy in a neighborhood he moved back into and he couldn't bother to be honest on the disclosure statement. I really have no respect for the guy. A disclosure statement is what you're supposed to write down. The house flooded and it had flooded previously and you're supposed to write it down and he didn't write it down. And, and people were like, he's a great guy. I was like, you know what? Okay, fine. I think it's sort of crap. You couldn't just tell me the house. I, see, no, I, I was like being dishonest. So there are dishonest sellers. As a matter of fact, I wonder if when you bought your practice, if many of you ever suffered a dishonest seller. We see it a lot in doctor-to-doctor transitions where the seller misrepresents something to get money. It's actually a very common practice. And so what I would tell you is there are all kinds of sellers. There are good sellers, fair sellers, and there are not such good sellers, right? And it's, it's kind of funny, like if you've ever bought anything on a auction site, you know, you rate the seller, right? And same thing in Uber, you can rate the, the okay, just be sensitive to right that there sometimes there are bad sellers. So if you're a buyer and what's interesting about what's going on is the buyer, and this is true. When you buy, you want to buy to make a profit later, <laughs> right? Now remember when seller wants to make a profit when they sell, when you buy, you make the profit when you buy. So what's interesting is when you study a market, like we study, why are people buying practices? Well, one, we have susceptible sellers. We have non-knowledgeable sellers. Like right now, our industry is the most susceptible, the most untrained I have ever seen. And that's why the buyers are there. And the buyers are there because they want to take your life's work and they want to make it create a profit. So what's so funny is if I was a seller, like if I thought the dude who bought my Ferrari was going to make $100,000. Do you really think I would have sold the Ferrari? No. I sold the Ferrari because it was like once I got it, the goal was accomplished, and it was that was about it. I mean, like, I wouldn't get a lot of satisfaction, and there was no real profit to make. As a matter of fact, it was just going to become less valuable. So a good buyer buys an asset that is going to become more available. So when you buy talent at a price, we're thinking we're going to make money with that talent. See, you guys need to be investors. And when we call you an investor, what you're doing is you're buying. So what's so fascinating to me is good buyers buying something that they think is going to increase in value. So what's so funny about practices being sold is the seller is not studying the buyer. So if if I'm the seller, I'm saying, well, why are they buying these? 
They're not buying them because they think there's no upside. They're buying them exactly because they do think there's an upside. So, but it doesn't mean the seller understands it. So a good buyer goes out and finds sellers who don't understand the upside of whatever they have, and they consider it a great buy, and then they make it more valuable. And so in your market today, DSOs, DMOs, all of these are disguise, practice transition. These are disguised buyers, and they're not going to tell you, hey, I want to buy your practice because I think I can double its value. That's not what they say in the brochure. They go to your susceptibility, which is to tell you that, hey, you're not going to be able to get talent, you know, people anymore. We've got great training programs. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to. See, all of that is to make you a worse seller. And what I want you to get is that, like, when you don't want to sell an asset, number one, that you need, but more importantly, one that has the ability to have an upside. And if a bunch of people are buying it, they're buying it because it has an upside. So why would you sell it? So let me give you another example. A lot of people don't understand this. I make what are called dental CEOs, right? So I turn people into what is a dental CEO. They're a dentist who has practices, who becomes a CEO, who gets margin time money. Most of the people who sell their practice end up going to work for another CEO, and they don't even actually understand that dynamic. So for a lot of you, what I can tell you in your future is going to happen is if you want to have margin and time and money, you're either going to need to become better at running your business, running your team, or go get a job with another CEO. And watch them take the thing they buy, double it in value and sell it again, and you become completely insignificant. As a matter of fact, you're not significant at all. That's what they tell you to appease you. And that's going to happen to a lot of you. And if you're a student, man, I'm going to tell you right now, you could open up a practice, you could crush it, but you got to get the right guidance. And you need to not be getting brainwashed from somebody telling you that you have to work for them, okay? There are huge opportunities, and that's why they're buying. If there was no opportunities, they'd be selling all those practices back. So again, study the seller, study the buyer, understanding susceptibility. Why is this important? Because this is what's going on. And if you're a doctor who is thinking about selling something, I'm going to tell you, they did a study. And they studied businesses that the owner was thinking about selling. And there are some amazing things that occurred, okay? Number one, engagement drops dramatically, and it's kind of like competing against yourself, right? Listen, I don't care what you do with your asset as long as you do it fully educated, okay? So my company will grow it to sell it or grow it to keep it. I don't care. The only thing I want you to do is to be fully educated and be a great seller and not be a bad. So remember, what, when, if I'm a buyer, what do I want? A stupid seller. <laughs> What's a stupid seller? Somebody too cheap to understand what their property is worth. Somebody too cheap to understand a little bit of effort would double the price of the asset. So that's the kind of buy. You, man, I am telling you like as friends, right? Pretend we're friends. And you told me, hey, I'm selling this. And, and, and you said, and I said, well, did you get an appraisal? And you said, no, did you get to see? You know what I also know about all the sellers? None of them actually get the business appraised. So I, you're either going to, you can become somebody who can lead a team 
or you're going to work for somebody who can, right? I'm just telling you, that's your fate. That is your fate. Pick it. Patient experience. Here's how patient experience occurs. So the patient experience, actually, I want you to draw three boxes. One, two, three. And in the first box, I want you to draw, well, to the left, I want you to write the words, the leader. So it turns out that every business that has, and you can study this all you want, every business that has a remarkable experience for the customer, it is driven by the leader, okay? That's you. Next box over to the right, I want you to write the team. And when I say the team, your words would be the hygienist, the assistant, the front desk people, right? Your team, your employees, your team members, whatever you call them, that's what makes it up, okay? And then the third box is the patient in your case. And if you don't have patience, it's your customer. And so when you look at this box and you say, I want to have an amazing patient experience where the patient believes that our business is the only one that can do this so that they will close their eyes, not look at other businesses, be less price susceptible, blah, 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 refer their friends, bring their family, and so on and so forth. See, that is a designed, that is designed. You got to go back to the leader. I've done this thousands of times, and I can tell you the leader who only lets me work with their team and doesn't want to get their hands dirty will never create that with the patient. So above you, I want you to write something that I think will help you. I want you to write self-focused. So as much as you don't believe it, you know every time you go off to a CE course, that's actually self-focused, but you give yourself the delusion that it's actually translating down to your team. And then under your team, I want you to write self-focused. So most teams, so again, meet a doctor, got a great team. You know what they have? They're self-focused, the team is self-focused, and down here at the patient level, we have a marginal patient experience at best. Now the problem is, if I have a client down the street who does what I say, and your patient wanders over there, they're never coming back. I mean, never coming back. But you don't know that because you don't know what goes on over there. So let's write a couple things under leader. Unintentional leader, overly clinically focused. I have sent a person out on the, on the street hundreds and hundreds of times and said, why do you pick your dentist? Do you ever check their credentials? Do you know what their CE is? I have never, I've yet to have a patient. And the person say, oh yeah, that's exactly what I do. So you're sitting there trying to placate that professional thing instead of the experience. They're all about, can I get in? They're all about, is it fast? Is it comfortable, right? Do I like the, I'm telling you, it, it's not, that's what it's about. So, okay, if you go down to the team, what we find is there's no leader setting expectations. No leader setting expectations and living by those expectations. So it's formulaic, okay? It is formulaic that if you want to have a competitive advantage, that it actually starts with you, trickles to your team, and I mean, really rolls to your team, and then rolls to the patient. And you can try to do all kinds of little tweaks you want, but that is how that 
occurs. And I think it's important, you know, I tell you, let me give you another thing to look at. There's a great expression, which is grow or die, grow or die, grow or die. So if I look back at the last two years, I can tell you whether your practice is growing or dying. And if it is not growing, it's dying. And a lot of people don't like to use that standard, but it is really accurate. And I would really encourage you to get on a path of growth. Okay, now, interestingly enough, when the Super Bowl was in town, we hosted a bunch of clients and um, I got invited to uh, hear Bill Belichick. Uh, I'm not a great big Patriots fan, but I'm a fan of winners, right? And so I said, yeah, I'd love to go. And it was like a clandestine location and, and you had to put your phone in a bag, which I thought was great. And, and so we get in there, it's like 40 guys and gals and, and Belichick starts speaking and um, uh, Kirk Herbstreet was there interviewing him and then got to the Q&A and somebody said, hey, you know, do you, have a, do you have a people formula? And I want to share with you Bill Belichick's people formula because I think it's, I think it would be this, if, if um, there's a standard, right? And so we're saying, right, how do we have top-notch people? And, and, and so I think you would agree that the Patriots, right, they managed to win. And Bill Belichick manages to put together a group of individuals that make a winning team. And so I was just curious. So here's what he said. And this, I want you to write this down because this is what you want to have in your organization. And actually, let's go through them. So number one is he said, they got to be smart. All right. And so are they smart? Um, I like that one. The next one was tough. Are they tough? And what that means, tough translates to, will they try, get knocked down, pick themselves back up again? See, tough is not I try in my head and then I decide it didn't work. I love the people who try things in their head. I get a lot of that. In our business, it's like the worst business because it's like, hey, I want you to help me, but I want to keep doing everything the way I'm doing. Well, you know, sorry, pal. You got to do it this way, right? I mean, there's no, you're not tough. And then thirdly is dependable. And, and so, uh, but I think that's a great description. And then somebody said, hey, what about the millennials? And he said, hey, I watch what Nick Saban is doing, which I thought was really great. And so, but here's what I want to ask you. If I had a video camera on you for the last 12 months, would I see someone demonstrating smart, tough, and dependable? Or would I see someone demonstrate, you see what I'm saying? Like, you got to be smart. There's no doubt. You got to be smart. But are you life smart? Or are you just dental smart? Are you just, I'm smart about teeth. That's not smart. That's smart in one category. You gotta be smart about money. You gotta be smart about business. You gotta be smart about relationships. You gotta realize that your life is not your practice, it's your life. And you gotta be smart about everything. And you gotta actually apply smarts about everything. And I mean, smart people go seek. Look, I'm gonna tell you, you're smart for staying on this call. You're smart for writing this stuff down. But then we get to tough. Like tough is you're actually going to change. See, see, are you tough? Like if the team resists, do you cave in because you don't want to disrupt your apple cart? 
If you, if you go down in your basement and find your kid drinking beer that's not old enough to drink beer, are you chicken to actually tell them that they can't drink beer at your house? Or are you one of those parents who says, well, okay, Johnny, well, let me get you some more beer, right? Are you okay to say you can't be with that friend? Like, I'm, that's tough, okay? Tough is being the parent than your kids say, you're the meanest parent in the entire world because you don't let me do whatever I want, you know, translation, because whatever I want to do. See, later they'll look at you and go, hey, maybe my parents turn out to be smart, but right now being tough means saying no. Being tough means not letting them drink in your basement. And again, there's another family where they're not tough. They're going to let them do whatever they want. But are you tough? You know, tough is when, when a team member comes in and disrespects you. Tough is you send them packing. Tough is going, you're fired. And again, who do we, everyone wants to hate Donald Trump, right? Because whatever, he's tough, man. That dude is tough. I don't care whatever you say, he's tough. And he understands that. And then are you dependable, right? I, I think that's a great description, right? So Nick Saban has a but in an and. So Nick Saban, one of my team members shared this at our huddle the other day. And he says he wants and people, not but people, right? So he's saying if we describe you and we say Dr. Smith is a really great dentist, but they have a terrible receptionist and I don't like his team. Does that make sense? You're a but person. But if we say I really like Sorry, I forgot the name of the doctor. Shall we say Dr. Smith? And when you walk into their office, you get a hot towel. And they don't have any waiting time. And none of his team is on their cell phone in the office. And they ask about me. And they send me an anniversary card. And on my birthday, they send me a pie, which is crazy. And, see what I'm saying? And once a year, they do a concert for all their patients. What kind of practice you got? Because most likely, the practice in your town that's got all the patients, we've turned them into an and practice. All good. So again, we start going through your team, and you say, well, I mean, I think Mary's really good, but she's late a lot and has a bad attitude and doesn't, and we haven't, see, see what I'm saying? You need to be an and person, right? So I want to, right? I mean, like I want you to go, hey, Jay is really smart about this stuff and he actually cares about me. Does that make sense? Like, and, right, and, okay, you don't want to just be the butt person. So what do you need to do? Here's what I think you should do. I would like to invite you to an experience that I think will change your life forever for the good. And I'm going to, I'll guarantee that. See, so when you think about, when you think about an experience, what if I invited you to an experience that would literally allow you 
to understand this competitive advantage and to sort of benchmark yourself against a group of people doing it at a very high level. So what I was thinking about for you was I was going, one of the things I've learned over time is that sharing free information is, is tremendous, <laughs> but it's kind of like, you know, does it do anything? And so what I was thinking about for you is, okay, great, this, sure, this is valuable information. I didn't get through everything I wanted to get through, but what if, if you like the things I'm saying and, and you're struggling with any of these issues, what if there was another experience that would just literally change your life forever and it would change your practice forever and it would, you would learn something that you will never learn inside dentistry? And that's what I'm inviting you to. So make sure you get to see me in person and I'll look forward to uh, seeing you then. Take care, have a fantastic day, bye. It's time to create your winning streak. For the first time ever, we're going to Vegas. We're going all in. Are you? Raise the game on team engagement. Up the ante on patient centricity. Double down on new patients and more. Live in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace. One time only. Scheduling Institute presents Practice Growth Summit. Let's take a look at the exciting lineup of speakers. Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is a two-time national champion, first round NFL draft pick and Heisman Trophy winner. In addition, he serves as a college football analyst for ESPN. The Tim Tebow Foundation was established in 2010 with the goal to bring faith, hope, and love to those needing a brighter day in their darkest hour of need. The foundation fulfills this mission every day by making dreams come true for children with life-threatening illnesses. Carrie Lorenz. Carrie Lorenz knows what it takes to win in one of the highest pressure extreme environments imaginable, in the cockpit at Mach 2. As the first female F-14 Tomcat fighter pilot in the U.S. Navy, having flown missions worldwide as a combat mission-ready United States Navy pilot, Lorenz is used to working in fast-moving, dynamic environments where inconsistent execution can generate catastrophic results. The same challenges are found in business. Markets change, customer needs evolve, and if you do not adapt quickly, your company is at risk. In her motivating and engaging keynote presentations, Carrie shares her fascinating experiences operating in one of the world's most challenging environments, an aircraft carrier. She is uniquely qualified in the fundamentals of winning under pressure, reducing errors, and overcoming obstacles. Her mastery of these fundamentals can help your team triumph in this high-risk, time-crunched world. David Nurse. David has developed the formula to sustaining greatness in an ever-changing world. He has been transforming the way hundreds of NBA stars play on the court for most of his career. In fact, his method was dubbed as training athletes and business leaders of the future. David Nurse is a highly sought after speaker hired by companies like Dell, Salesforce, ESPN, and the NBA to help thousands of employees and athletes develop unshakable mindsets. Dr. Travis Stork. Dr. Travis Stork is an Emmy-nominated co-host of the award-winning talk show, The Doctors, and a practicing board-certified emergency medicine physician. A fervent believer in helping patients feel empowered when it comes to their health, Dr. Stork practices what he preaches and likes to teach by example. The self-described adrenaline junkie greatly enjoys his work in the ER. He has seen things beyond imagination. But in the end, it's an honor for him to apply the skills he has learned to help people in their time of crisis. Dion Sanders. 
Pro Football Hall of Famer Dion Primetime Sanders, or now officially Coach Prime, is the head coach of Jackson State University Tigers football program. An eight-time Pro Bowler and two-time Super Bowl champion, Sanders played 14 NFL seasons for the Atlanta Falcons, San Francisco 49ers, Dallas Cowboys, Washington Redskins, and Baltimore Ravens. He's the only person in professional sports history to play in the World Series and the Super Bowl. Since retiring from professional sports, Sanders has produced and or appeared in a variety of television shows. Dr. Bill Dorfman. Celebrity cosmetic dentist Dr. Bill Dorfman has been practicing for over 30 years in the Beverly Hills area and has had a career unparalleled to any other dentist in history. Referred to as the Michael Jordan of dentistry, he's also appeared on numerous TV shows, including Larry King Live, Oprah, Access Hollywood, E! Extra, and Entertainment Tonight. As the founder of Discus Dental, one of the world's leading dental companies, he helped lead the company from its inception to more than $1.3 billion in sales. Use this as the ultimate rewards trip for your team, June 15th to 16th, 2023.